and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I'm going to do something I have never done before during the holiday week. Usually we have a segment where I talk about the biggest news stories of the year with a fellow journo or person of interest. Last year it was Scotty Hertz. Actually this year again it will be Scotty Hertz. That's next week though. Since I don't want to waste... Well, waste is loaded term, but <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be so unusual that people would skip this week in terms of politicast, uh, politicast listening. I, I, I wanted to do something that was new, but if you missed it, that's okay. Uh, you don't have to feel compelled to listen to every episode. It'd be nice if you did, but if you would just want to sort of take the week off, this would be a, a nice week to sort of just, you know, take the week off because it's a clip show it's a lousy clip show anyway um prepared for you today are about 15 different clips sound clips from the last year some of them were from events uh i've covered some of them are from online press conferences or question period at queen's park so it's a real potpourri as they say of the sounds and the sound bites that made up 2023, at least from the Guelph perspective, and at least also from my perspective. These are kind of the sound bites that matter, question mark. Anyway, we'll get into it. Uh, as I said, there's 15, and uh, the first three are sort of like a, a three-pack. Um, you may recall back... Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, all things considered, not too far in the distant past of 2023, our MPP Mike Schreiner and the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, kind of got into it. And Doug Ford said something that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And that was when he called Guelph City Council left-wing, loony, uh, left-wing lunatics. Um, that prompted a very terse response from Mayor Cam Guthrie, who had just a few months before that had chastised his council for, I guess, being a little too harsh on the provincial government and by creating uh, situations where there's uh, or creating friction between the city council and the provincial government by needlessly obsessively criticizing their rewrite of our official plan, which, of course, ended up um, being taken back by the time we got to October. They rewrote the plan in April. They uh, gave us the opportunity to rewrite it or unrewrite it back in uh, October. This isn't about that, though. This is about just how... (laughs) How irritable the relationship between our local government and the provincial government has been this year at a time where we desperately need their help in order to make sure that there's enough accommodation for everybody. So, uh, not for the first time, or not for the last time, uh, on this clip show, we're going to hear from Mike Schreiner, and then Doug Ford, and then Mayor Cam Guthrie in November, and then Mayor Cam Guthrie this past May. Next 
question, the member for Guelph. Good morning, Speaker. My question is for the Premier. This government has wasted years failing to address the housing crisis, breaking all the rules so a handful of wealthy, well-connected insiders could cash in Order. on paving over farm land. Greenbelt, boundary expansion, MZOs. It's past time to start building homes that ordinary people can afford in the communities they want to live in on land already approved for development. To do this, local governments will need money for sewer and water lines, streets and transit operations in order to service new homes. But this government took that money away. And residents are now facing big property tax hikes and delayed home building, making the affordability crisis worse. So, Speaker, will the government Question. make people and municipalities whole by closing the financial gap they created? The Premier. Well, Mr. Speaker, last night, I usually don't watch the news, I was flicking the channels, and Mr. Green was on the show saying, we need more housing. In Guelph, they had the lowest housing. And ask the Premier to refer to the member for Guelph as the member for Guelph. Codename Green, we, you know, Mr. Speaker, he was actually had the nerve to stand up there and say, we need more housing. Guelph has the slowest housing starts in the entire province out of 444 municipalities. Guelph voted against housing unions for students across from Guelph University. Where was the member from Guelph? He never spoke up. He's voted against every housing initiative we've had. He's voted for against every infrastructure that we've had. He is anti-builder. He's all about making sure he puts a little rose bushes in and everything's hunky-dory. No high Highways. You don't want to expand Highway 7, do you? You don't want to expand Highway 7. Premier, please take a seat. I'll remind members to make their comments through the chair. Supplementary question. Thank you, Speaker. I'm okay to be referred to as Mr. Green anytime, so I just want to be able to say one thing. Do a simple Google search. Guelph does not have the lowest housing starts in the province. As a matter of fact, it's higher than Peterborough's if you want to look at the record. Last week, Guelph City Council approved a major Order. housing project for students. Guelph Order. has passed um, rules for multiplexes. Guelph is Order. ready to build. Here's the challenge municipalities, including Guelph, face. The government took $1.5 billion. Government side, come to order. Municipalities need that money for sewer lines, water lines, to build the infrastructure needed for new homes. I want those new homes to have sewer and water lines. They won't be built if it doesn't happen. Question. The government a year ago said they would make municipalities whole. They have failed to deliver that. Will they commit to it today, Speaker? To reply, the Premier. We have the member from Guelph on record, and I hope the, the, the media is listening to this. He's on record that he's going to vote for our infrastructure plan. He's going to vote for our housing plan. He's going to make sure he holds the mayor accountable. By the way, I like your mayor. He just can't get up there and make a decision. So he always wants to pile it onto the province. And he's a good guy, actually. I like him. But your whole council and go all for a bunch of left-wing lunatics. Simple as that. 
anyways, Mr. Speaker, I'm glad that you've agreed to vote for our infrastructure, our housing plan, Highway 7, Highway 413. It's going to benefit the people from Guelph. Thank you. Excuse me, right before I go to adjournment, I want to just take the time, Mayor's kind of comments here for a second, right before I go to adjournment. Um, I just have a statement that I'd like to, to like to make. So I wanted to respond a bit more formally here in the council chambers in regards to this issue. Um, the last couple of weeks have seen some unnecessary and somewhat um, strained relationships uh, with the province and specifically with some commentary from the Premier. Uh, what started out as me having to correct the Premier's rec uh, sta stated opinion, I had to correct it with some facts, specifically on the housing starts in the province However, um, that snowballed into calling Team Guelph, I'm calling us Team Guelph, as, and I quote, left-wing lunatics. I wanted to respond to this formally today with just a few points to go through. Uh, number one, that's not true. Number two, see number one. Number three, the 13 of us are a direct representation of the citizens of Guelph who voted to put us here. So in a way, Calling my colleagues left-wing lunatics is actually saying that the very people who voted for us are the same. In reality, there are people in this city that voted PC in the last provincial election, and those same people voted for one of us as well. Because these words were said surrounding the issue of housing, I'd like to point out that this council has been together now for exactly one year, and we have approved every single housing application that has come before us. Okay, every single one. Someone is happy about that, thank you. And under the provincial government's own housing progress report that was released within the same week as these comments, uh, we are top of class as when it comes to housing starts within the province. Now, I don't think a left-wing council would, in the def definition of what the Premier stated, would have, as has already been mentioned by Councillor or Chair Caron earlier today, we've increased our credit rating over the last few years. And by the way, we balance our budget every year. I've said this over and over again like a broken record, but it takes multiple players to build housing. And one of those players is the province. And I believe we have been consistent, reasonable, available, and focused on addressing the housing crisis here in our city. So tonight, I want to repeat the call to the province, and specifically through to the Premier, that we in Guelph, Team Guelph, we work collaboratively, we work respectfully, and moving forward, it can be done with name-calling. We're trying to shame Team Guelph incorrectly. Come and meet us, come and meet with our staff, and come with, meet with the people of Guelph, and we will get housing done without having to resort to name calling against each other at all. I know that me and my, my team here, both council and staff, will always adhere to that. And I call on the Premier and the province to do exactly the same. Okay, so I'm going to do my comments now because I think this is the right time to do it. Because I'm not going to comment about the next motion, right? So this is like the last of it, okay? So I think this has been a complete exercise of showing how we do not want to try to, uh, in my opinion, it's, it's not to try to be cooperative. Um, I believe this is gonna have intergovernmental 
um, issues. I think this is poking uh, the province in the eye, and I don't think it's helpful. Um, we've heard from our staff that uh, it is a final decision of the minister. It is what it is. So um, I'm here to try to not have any barriers or hurdles or issues in regards to trying to get stuff done. What I've been hearing tonight is us contemplating and voting on issues that are either already in the works anyways, or have been verified uh, by staff to be somewhat redundant. And, um, and we're, we're pushing forward a narrative. And I'm gonna, I, this is how I feel, everybody. I feel um, like this narrative continues to perpetuate that Guelph is a difficult place to do business and that this is a difficult place to try to um, build homes. And I think one of the questions that's been lost in this a little bit is why is it that developers and third parties had to go around the city and actually lobby the government on things? Has anyone ever really thought about that for a second? Maybe it's because we're the problem. Maybe it's because we're, we're causing issues in our narratives, in how we speak, and how we vote on, on certain things. And I, I think it's important that it's, it's called out, from my opinion, in my observations, especially on how I have to, in my role, deal with a lot of things, that, that it's prevalent about some of these issues. And I think it's something that we should all actually contemplate and think about a little bit um, as we move forward. So at the heart of this situation is housing. And I think one of the, a lot has been said about housing uh, this year. And I think one of the most interesting uh, sound bites has come from Mark Walton, who became the new CEO of the Guelph General Hospital earlier this year. He was on the podcast last week. But this is from one time he delegated to city council, and it was about how homelessness is also a health issue, and we should be treating it as such. So I'm going to let Mark Walton take away with his delegation from the special housing meeting of council that happened in October. My name is Mark Walton. I'm the president and CEO of Guelph General Hospital, and it's been my pleasure to serve this community for the last six months. Uh, Also been a pleasure to be a member of the Guelph-Wellington, Ontario health team. I'll also say a pleasure to work along with CAO Stewart, city staff, uh, Mayor Guthrie, as well as council on a variety of different issues. Uh, It is a pleasure to be here with you today. I want to start by first extending my gratitude to the staff, uh, the CAO, uh, council, for the development of these these recommendations. Uh, They've obviously been developed in consultation with the sector and uh, obviously aimed at addressing the housing, the homelessness, the human crisis that sits in front of us. And I hope that today, uh, my being here actually is a bit of a testament to a different way of thinking. Uh, Hospitals are not typically involved in housing or homeless issues. We require a different framing. We require a different paradigm to look at. And so hopefully what I'm going to do today is talk to you about what I see as a human crisis. Uh, And I say it intentionally because it was a term that was recently used by a visitor to our city. I had the pleasure of hosting Dr. Krima Velji, our province's chief nurse and assistant deputy minister, with the Minister of Health, Ministry of Health recently, <clears throat> following a tour of our hospital 
in a meeting with our nursing staff, I took Dr. Velji for a walking tour of our downtown and uh, along with representatives of our OHT collective. Dr. Velji, a clinical professional who's provided care across the globe in war-ravaged third world nations, was moved emotionally by the desperation of the people that she saw on our local streets. I will note she was equally inspired by the hard work of our health and social service agencies such as our CHC, CMHA and others. She's now working to give us focus uh, with our affordable housing efforts, our proposal uh, to bring some relief with senior levels of the provincial government because she believes in our community, she believes that our people are in danger and she recognizes as I do that we have a crisis. Mr. Mayor and members of council, I've worked in the Ontario health system for almost 35 years now and I know crisis. For the last three years, I served as the Senior Vice President on Ontario Health to manage the province's COVID-19 pandemic response. When our long-term care homes were in peril, I was responsible for the deployment of staff into those homes. When we exhausted our ICU bed capacity in hospitals, I worked to coordinate the transfer of hundreds of Ontarians from their home hospitals across the province in order to uh, maintain a, a, a system that worked. Last year, when COVID and RSV converged into a single synchronous wave, I was responsible for transferring children across the province to ensure that safe pediatric care could be provided. And when Saskatchewan became overwhelmed and could no longer care for the residents, I helped to spearhead our provincial response and facilitate the transfers of Saskatchewan's uh, people uh, sick and dying from their province to ours. I know what a crisis looks and feels like, and I feel that we do have a crisis, a human crisis in Guelph. And while I am absolutely supportive and thankful for the recommendations that have been put forward, I also believe that we need an immediate tactical response as well. And with that said, uh, while I believe these are a step in the right direction, I think we lack a certain ruthless focus and urgency in some of the recommendations that will be required over the coming months. Now I offer my observations not out of arrogance nor out of criticism, but rather as humble advice based on what I saw work and didn't work in the pandemic response over the last three years. The one thing I will say is the systems that worked in a crisis had a compelling, ruthless belief in the universal human right to health, a collective unwavering commitment to efficient collaboration, and a commitment to immediate action. We knew that those systems that had that would do well and people would be spared. And so today, what I would like to ask of you as we look at this is to recognize that winter is coming and we will require a few things. First, I want to affirm what we've already heard is that there is a need to believe that housing is health. This is something that has been articulated in London and across many systems and we believe it is a universal right for each and every citizen. Driven by this principle, we need to organize effectively and efficiently to make decisions quickly. And our timelines must be hours and days, not weeks, months, or quarters. And I would certainly encourage the city to prioritize the recommendations that are specifically around permanent supported housing. I believe these will not be an abandonment of our plans, but rather an expedition of them. Thank you. Uh, of course, we did also have uh, new social housing in Guelph this year. Uh, Grace Gardens finally opened, the old Parkview Motel, 
And this is uh, Gail Hoekstra, the, the executive director of Stepping Stone, on the occasion of the official opening of Grace Gardens this summer. A couple of things with thinking about this project, I would thought about three words, and those are the strength in a vision, the heart, and determination to get something like this done. I'm, try, I'm going to try not to cry, so if I And thinking about that everybody, there are so many people in this room that were part of that story and part of those principles and values that got us here today. And I'm just, as Stepping Stone, we're just incredibly grateful. And um, when you start with something, you want to kind of pay tribute to the history. So I just want to talk a little bit about how the story, how we got to here today. I'm going to start a little bit with Sister Christine because many of us know her and she's influenced a lot of work in this community and a lot of who we are and how we work. And she's certainly someone that has a strong vision, has heart and determination. And when I started with her, in this role, 10 years ago, one of my first weeks, she said, okay, Gail, like, get to work. Go to the Parkview Maples Inn and that hotel by the university and see if we can buy it. Because we need a spot for people to live. And so I did. I went here. We would have gotten a way better deal, by the way. Then. Uh, went to Maples and the university. And it was a full, full call, like just walking in, talking to people. And I, I think about that a bit because I think now how unusual that would be to teach people in school. There's no plans, there's no pre-meetings, there's no policies or protocols. It was just walk in, make a relationship, and get something going. Also opening, uh, but not for a couple of years yet, is the new downtown campus of Conestoga College. It is going to take up residence in the what is presently the cooperative's headquarters. It's been a big question the last couple of years about what is going to go in that cooperative's building. It's a great big office building downtown. Um, great big piece of, I guess, commercial real estate, office real estate. What would happen when cooperatives move to their new headquarters in the south end? Well, now we know. Conestoga is moving in. So um, this is uh, Conestoga President John Tibbetts at that announcement earlier this year. We've been at this for a long time. I think they found the Northwest Passage sooner, less time, less time than uh, we were able to build a campus. And um, David, David Woods here somewhere. Where is he? He's out there. So, yeah. So this goes back a long, long time. And I was talking a couple of days ago. His father actually put set aside 50 acres of land for us um, about 1848, not quite, which is uh, about 25, 30 years ago. And the idea was that we would, you know, approach governments and we would build this campus, but we could never do that. So what we decided to do, and this is not, we're not being critical of anyone, we thought, well, back then we had a budget, you know, board member here, David Wald, back then, that's a long time ago, 1987, so back in those era. We had a budget of $35 million, almost every dollar came from, uh, from public funds. Now we have a budget of $750 million and about 10% of it, so we are in a much different situation than we were. So we've sort of got hold of our own 
destiny. We found the Northwest Passage. We've gone through. Now you don't even have to worry about it. It's all melted anyway. It's used to be ice packed, etc. It's not now. So we're looking forward to this. We certainly want to acknowledge it. We've had good support over the years from MP uh, Lloyd Longfield and Mike with your newer to the relationship. But are you a liberal today or are you a liberal? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't help myself. I'm sorry, I have, I, as you know, I should probably be medicated. I can't. <laughs> Next, there were two big groundbreakings this year, both long in the making. Uh, the first is the groundbreaking for the Guelph Public Library main building, which is in the Baker District. Uh, library CEO Steve Kraft was on hand for that. And then immediately following that will be sound from Dana Evans, who's in charge of culture at the city of Guelph. And she's going to uh, toast the groundbreaking for the South End Community Center. It is with great pleasure and excitement that I stand here before you today to mark the momentous occasion of the groundbreaking ceremony for Guelph's new Central Library. This day signifies the beginning of a new chapter in our city's rich cultural heritage, rich cultural heritage, as we embark on a remarkable journey to create the next library space that will inspire, educate, and uplift our community for generations to come. So right now, for those of you who can't believe this is actually happening, now is the time to pinch yourself. Pinch yourself hard, okay? Take a pic, a selfie, and social media the hell out of it, okay? <laughs> proof, people, proof. So, libraries have always been the heart and soul of a thriving society, acting as beacons of knowledge, creativity, and connection. They are places where imaginations take flight, where dreams are nurtured, and where the pursuit of wisdom becomes a collective endeavor. Today we take a significant step forward in reaffirming our commitment to the power of knowledge and the importance of learning. Yep, flip the page. Anderson Cooper doesn't have to deal with this, does he? When we talk about city or community infrastructure, we tend to think of roads, railways, sewers, wires, cables, pipes, and other physical networks that cross our landscape in order to make economic activity and growth possible. But the term can be extended to other areas that provide people with ways to achieve their goals, such as culture, research, and most importantly, learning. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you for being here. My name is Dana Evans and I'm the General Manager of Culture and Recreation with the City of Guelph. It's wonderful to see you all gathered here to the future site of the new South End Community Centre. It was only a couple of, oh, thank you. <laughs> It was only a couple of weeks ago that I was walking through the site and all of a sudden, I'm in the pool! <laughs> I was very excited. Uh, try not to overwhelm you with my loudness, but yes, we were in the middle of the pool. Staff reminded me that I needed a lifeguard, so I better be careful. Um, and uh, But I did uh, no water, so all was okay. But if you can imagine, we are at the site of the new recreation center. So we're at the entrance to the new 16, that 100,000 square feet facility. Um, we've got some things marked out just so that you can imagine for us. Uh, staff are playing uh, over here where both uh, twin pads, ice rinks will go. Center ice is marked for you just to give a good sense 
On the other side, to my right, uh, the flutter boards and the paddle boards are already in the pool. Um, they're ready to go, both the six lane pool and the teaching pool. If you imagine coming in and directly behind me, passing customer service with friendly faces waving at you, you'll head back to two double gyms marked with multi-sport um, for great activation as well. Heading up the stairs behind us as well, you'll have some viewing into the pool. We will have the weighted and the most excited indoor running track in a city facility, much and excited and overwhelmed. Great some break, other rental opportunities, in, including some meeting rooms and a tiction, uh, kitchen, teaching kitchen. Now for a bit of fun. Um, we know that there were some issues establishing Guelph's budget for 2024 and uh, through 2027 at the end part of this year. But earlier this year, um, which, which was the re reaffirmation of the 2023 budget, there was an interesting proposal that came forward. The Guelph Pickleball Association they think we need more pickleball facilities, and, and who am I to disagree? They were also on an episode of the podcast earlier this year making their case to you, the listener, but um, seemed pretty interesting, this, this idea of the pickleball phenomenon and how there are places across North America that are enjoying uh, incredible economic benefits from embracing the pickleball phenomenon, but I, I will let them tell the story uh, from their delegation back in January. Good day, Mayor. Uh, is this on? Good, good day, Mayor uh, Guthrie, councillors, and city staff. I represent the Pickleball Guelph Association, and we are asking for your help to get Guelphites more active by participating in North America's fastest-growing sport. My name is Eldon Moray. We thank you for the opportunity to introduce you to the wonderful world of pickleball. We are here to ask for your support in funding the construction of new dedicated outdoor pickleball courts. Now I feel like I'm on an episode of Shark Tank. I would like to talk uh, about our association. Let me go. Uh, we'd like to talk about our association and pickleball as it relates to international, North America, and Guelph. Most importantly, partnering with the city and moving forward. Prior to this meeting, you were provided with more detailed information for your reference. The PGA was formed in April of 2022 with a mission to foster growth and promote pickleball for all ages, skill levels, and abilities. We are excited about the growth and keen interest of the Guelph pickleball players as shown in the PGA membership numbers. You will see from the activity to date that the PGA has been very productive. The Guelph Wellington Seniors Association, which we heard from uh, earlier, has been running an excellent pickleball program for many years and continues to oversee their player group of 180 players. Problem, however, is there's 120 on the waiting list. It's evident that pickleball in Guelph continues to soar. These numbers do not even consider the players within the school system or other players around the city. Pickleball is a big thing uh, with no signs of slowing down in the near future. It's the fastest growing sport in North America. Professional leagues are gaining momentum as well. As an example, Mark Cuban, a Shark Tank regular, recently purchased a professional pickleball team. Pickleball in the US is projected to grow from 5 million players to 40 million players by 2030. We will see a similar pattern here in Canada. 
it is being discussed as a potential Olympic entry for 2028. It is a significant economic engine. Championships and tournaments are attracting thousands of players, spectators, and families over the course of an event. I, would, I will defer to Ryan Thompson, who's here today, if you're interested in more information on what is happening with tournament play through North America and the impact on economic development. City of Guelph is one of Canada's fastest growing cities and is ranked as one of the best cities to raise a family. Guelph has around 95 parks and none of those parks have dedicated pickleball courts. We gratefully acknowledge and thank the city who has worked hard to line the existing tennis courts to include pickleball as multi-use courts. Anecdotally, we estimate there are 700 plus players in Guelph, not including school age players. Clinics and intro sessions are continually sold out, including the city, which has recently introduced a program for beginners. Uh, we are pleased to acknowledge that city staff Dana and Jean have extended their cooperation and efforts to work with us. That includes meetings ranging from the creation of an interest group to the formation of what is being called Pickleball Quarterly. Like the name? Uh, I also thank Mayor Guthrie and councillors Downer and Caron for their assistance in moving this forward. At this juncture, we need the support of the City Council to move into action. Step number one, endorsement from the City Council to proceed with the development of dedicated outdoor pickleball courts. Step two, determine in cooperation with City staff what can be accomplished in 2023, commencing with feasibility work. Step number three, budget approval for the construction of dedicated outdoor pickleball courts. Construction costs, for example, to repurpose two tennis courts, um, uh, two tennis courts to five to six dedicated outdoor courts are estimated at around two hundred fifty to $500,000. We are proposing a minimum of 10 new outdoor pickleball courts in a standalone location with room to expand at a cost of 800000 to $1.2 million. As an example of efficiency of space, the footprint of a 10-court pickleball complex will take up about 23,000 square feet, uh, while the footprint of a typical baseball diamond is around 90,000 square feet, which could accommodate 40 pickleball courts. Sample layout. There, there we go. Sample layout for your reference. There are certainly numerous configurations and options, including windscreens, lighting, and even a permanent covering for the courts. Due to Guelph's climate so, patterns. So, Elder, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's over the five minutes. I just want to know how, how much longer do you have? I just I want to be here. Uh, You're our last kind of delegate, yeah, so I'm trying to be. 20 seconds. I'll give you the 20 seconds. <laughs> Thank you. Due, due to the uh, uh, Guelph's climate patterns, indoor dedicated courts should also be in the discussion as we move forward. The door is opening wider and faster and there is a broad range of benefits as outlined on the screen for the, um, uh, for the city of Guelph and our growing population of pickleball players. Engagement, social connection and accessibility for all ages, age groups, not to mention economic development opportunities is within our reach. The PGA and Guelph pickleball, um, pickleballers, thank you very much for your time and consideration. 
What do you say we get more Guelphites active by giving them easy access to this incredible sport? Thank you. Uh, next, the um, doesn't get a lot of news, <laughs> but uh, I did find this bit interesting and kind of in, in, insightful because before the pandemic, there was this phenomenon or maybe it was during the pandemic too, but I think I mostly remember before the pandemic, there was this phenomenon of like, look at all these bike thefts. Um, we're just going, we're just a crazy community of bike thefts and, and people were go- going along trails and things and finding where people are taking stolen bikes and maybe breaking them down for parts and other things. Um, it was kind of a, a crime story. Um, and this got buried a little uh, near the end of the year. November, at the Police Services Board meeting, there was a report from uh, David Lee, who is the Director of Campus Safety at the U of G, and he mentioned, well, he mentioned a couple of things. I'm going to play the sound from, from that report. One is the mysterious decrease in the number of bike thefts on campus, which he had no idea what what was responsible for that. And the second was uh, the impact of impact on campus, having um, mental health workers make uh, well-being calls with campus police and how that has had a positive impact on campus. Remember, again, before the pandemic, there was this story, uh, this narrative about people uh, on campus, students on campus having trouble accessing mental health services. So this does seem to to be a, a good news story as well. One of the big things that I was happy to see is a drop in theft of bicycles. So the previous year, ending 2022, we had 65, 62, and ending 2023, we had 35, so almost a half. Um, and um, I'd like to credit that on, you know, wizardry on my part and uh, guiding the officers and patrol and everything, but we, we've slightly increased our bicycle patrol hours, but not by that much. Um, we've increased uh, targeted foot patrol to the uh, bicycle racks, but not by that much. So as, in terms of why we had such a drastic drop, um, I'm not sure. Uh, but we're going to uh, look at our, um, we're, we're now going to look at the bikes that were stolen. Was there something about the bikes that were stolen that were desirable? Uh, maybe the other ones could have been stolen, but they didn't really want them. So that's where we're at now, just to see if certain bikes were targeted. And um it preliminary check doesn't show anything unique about them they weren't super high-end bikes they just seem to be bikes of opportunity um the guess is of course it's a poor locking system and so we have um we have a lock exchange program here that i finance along with the student association you bring us a sort of a, a weaker lock and we will give you one of those steel d locks give it to you and uh, and that program that's been ongoing and uh, we haven't had that much of an uptake increase slight but that could uh, all those things i said about our foot patrol our bicycle patrol the d-lock uh, may all in their own tiny bit have contributed to the decrease in bike thefts but in all honesty i'm scratching my head we really want to find out what we did right so that we can keep doing it um so that's uh, kind of a full disclosure there good news um and I'm, I'm watching keenly for this year, our Mental Health Act stayed the same. Our Mental Health Act issues, uh, either apprehensions or calls for service, stayed the same on campus, which um, one of the things we have here on campus is uh, impact. And I believe you know about that here in the city. It's, um, it's a fantastic service that we have. And on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, we have 
trained mental health staff that work here out of my office. And um, when we have a mental health call, they go. If there's no violence, no weapons indicated at the call, they go to the call. My officers tag along kind of a 50 feet behind, kind of out of sight. And the impact worker will go into the uh, to the student. Usually it's a student student's room or wherever they are and determine uh, the best course of action. That impact worker has all kinds of resources at their disposal uh, can deal with the, the subject at a, I'd say a better way than, than a uniform officer could do. And what that impact officer also does if indications are that an apprehension might be required under the Mental Health Act, um, they provide the information that uh, Guelph General is going to need for when that person is brought into the hospital. So there's a faster turnover at Emerge because there's there's already been a frontline assessment done by these impact workers. That the impact program was arranged through our student health services, um, and they work out of my office because we dispatch them, we send them to call, so it's best that they're here with us. Um, but we make sure that we're, we don't ride along with them, we don't deliver them to the scene, we don't do anything like that. We try and stay back away as far as we can because of some cases the uniform's triggering, so we don't want that to add to the problem. Um, that, in a nutshell, is, um, is, our, is my report up to 2023. So next we had a good labor news story up the road in Waterloo, there was a Starbucks in Uptown, Waterloo, that uh, managed to unionize. And we invited the two people who unionized the Starbucks onto Open Sources Guelph. And this was back in May, I believe. Uh, the two people are named Kale and Jamie. And together, they did the impossible because Starbucks is not a union-friendly shop, but it is part of the tremendous push and trend we have seen in the last couple of years uh, for labor to organize in order to get fair treatment, fair wages, living wages, uh, proper scheduling, all that stuff. And we felt it was important to have them on open sources to talk about how they did it uh, and, and sort of serve it as, as an example to other potential um, places that might be looking to unionize because it has been a hard slog uh, in a, a lot of these service industry um, businesses to unionize. It is often deterred by some very, um, very well-established tactics. So we're going to hear Kale and Jamie talk about how they did it. Well, okay, then let's talk about the, the logistics then. When you're it goes from something you guys are talking about to you deciding that it's going to be something you're going to do. So where do you start? How do you start organizing a labor union? And Kale, I'll start with you. That's that's the tricky part. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it starts with being extremely mindful, I would say, as uh, uh, the company we work for has been shown to have a dislike, we might say, uh, for... Mm -hmm organization efforts so right it starts with uh just talking to the people who it's it's really about feeling so you have to find the people who you really think might be for it and also wouldn't uh be against it and want right. to tell everybody about it so right it started with like just feelings of feeling people out having the conversations in a casual way when we have the chance and like just spreading the word but also keeping the word close you know Right, right, right. Jamie, that sounds particularly complicated given, you know, 
what Kale said that you know it, it's it's about the people you work with, right? And and you like the people you work with, um, but you know union is, is sometimes a dirty word, even if people don't fully understand what that entails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, kind of like what Kale was saying too, like being mindful of who we're approaching at first, uh, because there are a lot of misconceptions about union, and as you said, yeah, like some people definitely are like. No, I don't know anything about that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's it's kind of about approaching people on just like a human level, I find, and just letting them know, like, this is the information that I have that I can pass forward to you of, like, my research, and please feel free to do your own. And, like, I definitely wasn't, like, our organizing effort took, like, a year, if not maybe a little longer, because I found myself like not too particularly aggressive i just really didn't want to pressure anybody to think that i was like right trying to coerce them into like this idea or like sell them on something you know what i mean i i wanted them to come to the conclusion that for themselves that this was something that they would want as well mm-hmm. um, yeah well then can i ask uh how the other examples that you talked about, other examples in the United States, and, and of course, there are other, Wal- um, I almost said Walmart for some reason, same, <laughs> but the other Starbucks in Canada, there are, there are Starbucks in BC and Alberta who have unionized. Um, did you take any sort of inspiration from them as, as you started your efforts? Uh, sorry, that was to Jamie to start. Um, yeah, like it was definitely inspiring when BC um, first organized and then it kind of trickled into Alberta. It became a little more self-actualized like, where we were like, you know what, we can actually do this. Um, if they're doing it out there, like it's spreading in Canada now. Um, and also with your, your 14 slip, yeah, Walmart should unionize too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And Kale, um, can you lend some insight in terms of uh, how you guys ended up organizing under the United Steelworkers Union? Yeah, so that's a, a bit of a confusing situation. We originally intended to work with uh, the union representing the United States, Starbucks, which is uh, Workers United. Mm-hmm. We spent about a year in discussion with them. They helped us kind of get through the organizing effort, and they're great. Uh, but then at the at the end of the day, we realized that the United States workers had sort of uh, like administration over Canadian Starbucks, or they claimed. So uh. we had to because they had previously done stores in BC and Alberta. So we had to switch to them. But that's still great for us. We they had experience with Starbucks, and they were willing to work with us right away, mm-hmm. get stuff going. So at the end of the day, uh, steel workers or Workers United. It's the same for us, and we're happy to just work with any organizers. Okay, that brings us to federal politics. Uh, Janice Folk Dawson is your NDP candidate for the riding of Guelph. Now, there was a lot of interesting stuff happening on the federal uh, political side of things. Lloyd Longfield announced he was stepping down. Um, come next election, uh, the federal uh, election boundary authority announced that Guelph is now going to be split between two ridings. There's going to be Guelph, which uh, is going to be pretty much everything north of Arkell Road, and uh, everything south of Arkell Road is going to be part of a new riding called Wellington Halton Hills North. So it's going to be the southern part of Guelph plus much of what's presently the riding of Wellington Halton Hills, with the exception of Georgetown. So what 
the federal government has essentially done is taken Georgetown out of Wellington, Halton Hills, and replaced it with South Guelph. Um, Georgetown, for you may be interested to know, will form a new part of a new riding with the northern part of Milton. It's gonna, I can't remember the, the the riding's name off the top of my head, but it's like Halton Hills South and Milton North or something like that. So it's going to be an interesting election, federal election coming up, whenever that is. Um, Janice Folk Dawson, as I said, she's now the NDP candidate, officially acclaimed. I'm going to play her speech from the uh, acclamation meeting that happened this past fall. I want to start by saying how I introduced myself, and that is I'm Janice Folk Dawson. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a settler. I'm an injured worker with permanent disability, a working class feminist, an activist, and been working, living, and playing well for the last 37 years coming this November. I've spent my life advocating for workers' rights and building the relationship between labor and the NDP, and I began my door-to-door canvassing journey for the party at the age of 16 in North Bay. We have the opportunity to change and influence Canada's Labour Party, the NDP. We need to boldly claim ourselves as the Workers' Party. We have the opportunity to change and influence Guelph's role and input into federal politics. We have the opportunity to change and influence our workers, elect workers, and to develop and deliver a workers' platform. like an organizing drive of the labor movement. Workers are rising at the bargaining table and in the streets. We need to rise now at the ballot boxes. I use the term labor movement because I define the labor movement as all workers, union and non-union, paid and unpaid. We need to honor unpaid care work dominated by women, uh, retired workers, Persons with disabilities, unable to secure work, injured workers, immigrant workers, agricultural workers, farmers, full-time, part-time, student workers, and seasonal workers. I want to be part of that change, and that's why I'm seeking, and now I've gotten the nomination for the privilege of being the NDP MP candidate for Guelph. Uh, coming around the end stretch here, uh, this is a fascinating story for me because I don't know a lot about the Niska Waterfowl Park. It was something that was like established and up and running and was pretty much done by the time I moved to Guelph 20 years ago. So for like thousands of people like me whose existence in Guelph uh, post-date some of these things like the Niska Waterfowl Park, this is a very interesting development about this thing that has long been discussed and debated and has had numerous, um, well, what we would now call the OLT, OLT decisions. Um, Dr. Hugh Whiteley was on the show a couple of months ago to talk about the history of the Waterfowl Park, a lot of which he was involved in. I hope at some point to have staff members from the GRCA on to talk about the future of the Waterfowl Park. But in the meantime, uh, here is a taste of uh, what might be in store for that area in the South End once uh, the GRCA, the Grand River Conservation Authority, makes a final decision about that. Ron Gasparetto, Manager of Conservation Lands. 
before I uh, present this this uh, slideshow to you, I want to recognize um, Ron Wu Winter, who is the supervisor of natural heritage, as well as Kevin Tottenham, who is the natural heritage specialist, who have contributed greatly to this uh, to this report. So, thank you. And again, through the chair, I'll be providing you this um, slide presentation for information information purposes only on the Niska land holdings and draft management plan. As you've heard, there is a lot of history uh, to this project. And so I'll provide you some background. Um, the property is located at the confluence of Hanlon Creek and Speed River along the Niska Road. And it's on the west side of the city of Guelph and within the township of Puss Lynch. Uh, more particularly, it consists of four parcels three in the city of Guelph and one in the township of Puss Lynch with a total acreage of 160 acres. Now to break that down a little further for you, we've got 117 acres of forest, five acres of marsh, 7.5 acres of meadow, and of course the Hanlon Creek cold water stream. And we can't forget 31 acres of agricultural lands shown as ag field A and B. As you can see, um, the property uh, contains significant amount of provincially significant wetland, uh, significant natural areas, as well as GRCA regulator areas. So pretty much the only area that's that's not contained within those designations is the ag field B on the south side of Niska Road. So a little property acquisition. The property was uh, acquired for the uh, former proposed Hespler Road uh, Reservoir Project. And the first acquisition was in 1971 of 43 acres with the remaining 116 acres purchased in 1977 from the Ontario Waterfowl Foundation. Sorry, I'm just going to have to catch up to my notes here. So this acquisition um, in 1971, a report titled Review of Planning for the Grand River Watershed recommended that the GRCA acquire the lands for the Hespler Reservoir Project. Um, this recommendation was later removed from the flood control management system through the completion of the 1982 Grand River Management Study. More history. The Courtright Waterfowl Park operated um, from 1965 to 2005. And in 1977, the Niska Wildlife Foundation um, commenced uh, operations and continued on until 2014. However, in 2005, the Courtright Waterfowl Park did close to the public. And in 2014, the GRCA terminated the lease and assumed full management of the property and initiated the cleanup. Uh, I will add that the cleanup consisted of removal of buildings, debris, yard waste, fencing, pens, animal shelters, and additional Cleanup is still required, primarily fencing. All right, so getting into some of the uh, official plan and OMB matters. In, 23, in 2013, the City of Guelph received a notice of appeal 
um, about the redesignation of Ag Field B from open space to low density residential and medium density residential. Um, on March 14th, 2018, the appeal was withdrawn due to an agreed minutes of settlement. And as a regard of those OMB minutes of settlement, one of the requirements was resulted in an enhanced notification process regarding Eggfield B and the NISCA land holdings management plan. In January of 2018, GRCA passed a motion directing staff to complete a management plan for the NISCA land holdings. And things happen slowly sometimes, but on May 11th, um, oh, sorry, in May of 2023, the draft management plan was released for the 45-day period and public comments um, were presented, uh, are being presented with the information report attached. We had a total of 17 individuals that had responded um, and they had provided 25 responses. So there was a bit of a duplication on some of them. Okay. So getting into the recommendations, recommendation number one is to engage with the City of Guelph and other third parties to explore opportunities to enter into maintenance agreements for parcels of land that can provide recreational or conservation opportunities. So there are suitable conditions at NISCA for recreational maintenance agreements. We do have existing relationship um, with Guelph and there are existing city recreational trails adjacent to the NISCA lands. And as per the minute of settlement, if management, if the management plan gets approved, um, a joint working group will be established and shall include members of the public to consider implementation of a trails system at NISCA. Recommendation number two is to continue to advocate and promote partnership opportunities to manage and monitor biodiversity and ecological systems within NISCA. As you saw on the previous slides, natural areas found at NISCA, especially the Hanlon Creek and Speed River provincially significant wetlands provide ecological values to the regional environment. These areas should be managed using best practices to conserve and or enhance those ecological values. Future projects and research may be completed by GRCA staff and or partnerships with cities, academic research groups, or private interest groups. And opportunities may include naturalization, plantings, invasive species control, and water temperature monitoring. And finally, recommendation number three is the disposition of the eight hectare parcel of land south of Niska Road, identified as Ag Field B. Before we dispose of any property, the GRCA, the staff at GRCA routinely review land holdings to ensure that they align with the mandate of the GRCA, which is flood control, protection of people and property, and conservation and management of ecologically sensitive lands. And the lands in Agrifit and Agfield B fail, or sorry, fall outside of these objectives and therefore may be considered for disposition. The Eggfield B lands do not contain any natural heritage or natural hazard features. Next steps 
is we incorporate feedback and recommendations from the GRC board, and we continue to follow steps of the minutes of settlement, which is notice of meeting for consideration, and sorry, and a notice of meeting for consideration of approval for final management plan will be posted 30 days prior to GRC board meeting. Thank you. And finally, to wrap up, I've been kind of promising it since September. Um, Ford Fest, this is what the sound is from. And it's a rare instance where you get to hear Mike Schreiner really riled up, like really yelling, really angry. Uh, this is vintage Mike Schreiner. Um, <laughs> not Mr. Quiet, you know, environmentally friendly, nerdy guy who we're all acquainted with at this point, having been Guelph's member of provincial parliament for five years, going on six. But, uh, boy, was he riled up at this Ford Fest protest. And so we're going to end uh, this club show with Mike Schreiner yelling, enjoy. People power! Right here! People power! He's going to defeat this corrupt government! If the lowest paid education workers in this province can stand up to Doug Ford, we can all stand up to Doug Ford right now! Right now, that's the inspiration right there! You got him to back down, we're going to get him to back down and build homes for people! Not for the profits of a handful of wealthy speculators. We're going to fight with you every step of the way. Thanks for being here. People power. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. You are lost. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Well, I hope that was as fun for you as it was for me. That brings us to an end of this lousy clip show and uh, an end to 2023 on the Guelph Politicast. Of course, uh, stay tuned for many new episodes on into the new year. And um, best wishes to everybody for 2024. It's been a blast, 2023, onward and upward, though. We're going to see what 2024 has in store with us. Maybe, hopefully, might be a slower news year. <laughs> be nice to catch my breath. In the meantime, though, you can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Political Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. And if you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest news and politics, you can check out guelphpolitico.ca where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you this time next week. And until then, we'll see you next time in the future.